When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Inside Cricket, brought to you in association with the Cricketer magazine. It's Simon Hughes and Simon Mann here, looking back at, uh, well, what wasn't much of a day's cricket, really, in New Zealand, Simon. Uh, lots of showers and, and general kind of rubbishy weather uh, made the, uh, the task of keeping the viewers and listeners interested quite taxing for you, I should imagine. <laughs> it was one of those days that you don't look back on with any great fondness. And in a way, you, you think about day-night test cricket and trying to sell the game of test cricket. It was a, an appalling advert for it, really, not least towards the end of play when the umpires came out for a couple of inspections. And you thought, well, we're up against time here. They've got to turn the floodlights off at 10 o'clock local time anyway because of the local restrictions. They came out at 8.30 local time and we thought we're going to get a definitive decision from the umpires. There were still you know, spectators in the ground who were desperate for some play. The umpires came out and they said, oh, we're going to have another look at 9 o'clock. And it sort of thought, well, we're, perhaps we are going to get some play. And they came out at 9 o'clock and they said, that's it for the day. One of those sort of days when you think, no, come on, just make a common sense decision. Call the play off. But everyone out there misery had been a really frustrating day for everyone, everyone involved in the game. And everyone trying to sell the game as well, I suppose, of test cricket. And cricket in general, I mean, it is obviously extraordinarily frustrating when it rains at a cricket match because it's one of the few sports where the weather seriously affects whether you can actually play or not. I was thinking about this today. I mean, how many other sports does it really affect? I suppose tennis, it affects, doesn't it, in, in the, if you have open courts. Wimbledon have sorted out that problem to some extent by having a roof. Other sports, motor racing, if it, it gets really, really wet, they have to suspend the race for a while you might have to come in and change your tyres I'm not a huge motor racing aficionado but you know cricket's one of those sports where the weather is so important to it and it was one of those days that was really really frustrating there was a, a story last year wasn't there about uh, this idea of putting a, a kind of tarpaulin over the top of Lords. Uh, I think it was a, an idea that was, was aired by the chief executive but it was only an idea and it became a story and something that was going to happen 
uh, someone's definitely got to come up with some kind of scheme to, to as you say, to cover test grounds and, and, and international grounds because it is ridiculous. But I think also the, the communication of, of some of this stuff is, is poor, isn't it? And actually, I, I was thinking, I did a piece the other day for the BBC about VAR, the video technology in football and how they're grappling with the problems in that and what they could do about it and how they could learn from cricket. And one thing that cricket's done reasonably well is mic'd up the third umpire so that now when there's a decision review system in operation, you can hear what the third umpire is debating, you can see it on the big screen, you can see the decision unfolding. And I think that's a good introduction, which football should definitely consider, because at the moment, when you get the video referee discussing with the the main referee what's happening on the football field the crowd and even the tv audience are completely in the dark so it seems like football definitely got to think about that in, in ahead of the world cup talking of uh, world cups um, the the qualifying is going on for the cricket world cup in in zimbabwe at the moment and west indies finally scraped through it was quite an interesting game that one against Scotland where in fact in the end Scotland looked as they might have a chance of winning and they would have then qualified but uh, as it turned out the rain came <laughs> rain again this time in Zimbabwe and uh, the West Indies scraped through on Duckworth Lewis I think we should all be happy that the West Indies qualified because they do add some you know sort of exuberance and panache to a World Cup but it does seem ridiculous doesn't it still that we're talking about a World Cup of only 10 teams. It, cricket seems to be the only sport that's trying to shrink itself. Well, this has been one of the, the big debates since the last World Cup, since the ICC announced the fact that the World Cup was going to be reduced in numbers. It, it's been an excellent qualifying tournament, really full of interest in Zimbabwe. And Scotland must be absolutely distraught that they, they didn't make it. it you're right, it, it is good for the game that West Indies are there. But is it bad for the game that teams like Scotland are not there? I was at the last World Cup and I saw Scotland play against Afghanistan in Dunedin. It was one of the games of the tournament, actually. Scotland losing by one wicket. They were looking for their first ever World Cup victory and, and ditto Afghanistan. It was a really tight finish. And you just sort of sense that you know, the, the cricketing world was taking notice. They certainly were in, in Afghanistan because when they won the match, they were out on the streets celebrating in, in Kabul and places like that. So, you know, th th there is that interest there. And it, it is disappointing, I think. It certainly is that some of the, the teams who are just on the periphery are going to miss out on the World Cup, and I know you've been speaking to Steve Elworthy, who sort of explained to you the, the reasoning behind it. I mean, he says that basically they're trying to grow the game through 2020 rather than one-day internationals. Well, there's a couple of things to say about that, actually. Um, and firstly, uh, the 10-team World Cup was brought about partly by <laughs> the sort of subcontinent concerns. Uh, you remember the 2007 World Cup where India were knocked out by Bangladesh, and that caused a massive stir in the broadcasting and ICC world because, of course, that immediately caused the advertising revenue for the World Cup with India out to crash uh, and so they can't afford that sort of likelihood. Well, so th there is a bit of kind of bargaining going on behind the scenes to make sure that India, in particular, have a lot of actual cricket. In, in fact, in this case, in the World Cup in 2019 in England, there are going to be each team is going to have nine games because it's a ten-team tournament. It's going to be one league. Everybody plays everybody else, and then you have a, a semi-final and final. So every team is guaranteed nine games, which means, of course, nine 
lots of advertising revenue for those with big audiences. And that's the reason why it, they've decided on the 10-team format. It does seem a shame because the associate nations have more opportunity in a 50-over game to really grow their game, and they've proved that they've got some skills, about Afghanistan being one, Zimbabwe coming back on the ropes as well as another, obviously Bangladesh, uh, who are now an, uh, obviously an accredited test nation, but they're certainly improving. So there are teams there that, that really rank to be considered with some of the top teams now, or at least given, given the exposure. I, I quite like the idea of Steve Harmison on radio last night, actually. He was talking about these warm-up games that England have had in their uh, preparation for this test series and warm-up matches they played in, in previous series, and suggesting that rather than relying on the host country to produce a fairly moderate opposition, perhaps they could try and rope in some of these associate nations to play four-day games against the touring team before a test series. What do you think of that? Yeah, well, I mean, that's not, it's not the worst idea in the world. I suppose the only problem is that then the associate nations would have to have warm-up games before playing the warm-up games that the, 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 the <laughs> test teams are yeah. going to play. I mean, that, yeah, you know, yeah. where, where does it all stop? But it, it, it's not a bad idea to have that, that proper competition of teams who, who really want to be there, who really want to play and want to, to prove themselves. And we go back to Hamilton last week. I mean, actually, the standard of opposition that England had in Hamilton wasn't bad. There were lots of test players playing in, in the New Zealand. And eleven, and lots of you know talented uh, younger players. Carl Jameson, for example, the young Kiwi who smashed a hundred in, in the the day night game. Uh, he, he was in a list of the twenty five most promising cricketers in the world. So you know there, there there was some talent on show. It wasn't that England weren't tested in last week. It was just the fact that there just wasn't that sort of real competition about the games. They didn't seem to really matter. They were really just practice matches without that sense of you know winning and losing and also you know first class averages as well i think you know ask batsmen first class hundreds really make a difference to players you know first class wickets as well to to bowlers i mean it's not it's not about it i'm i'm open to any sort of ideas that help the game and you know we started by talking about the, the rain here at eden park i'm i really do believe actually that as the game goes on into the 21st century we really do need to find a way to cover stadiums in the way that Wimbledon have I know the courts are smaller but they've said right we can't trust the English weather we need to do something about it and they've invested a lot of money in having roofs on their on their main courts and I think that we need to start finding a way I don't I don't, I don't say I know how to do it uh, but we need to find a way to start covering our cricket stadiums. I did go to a 2020 match in Australia just before Christmas that was in a covered stadium, the Etihad Stadium in Melbourne, and it worked perfectly well. The game wasn't very good, mind you, and the crowd wasn't huge, despite the fact we were told big bash. You can't have lots of international cricket call off because of, of the weather, and, and, and days like today just emphasise that. I know that people say, well, that's pie in the sky, it's a pipe dream, but I think as time goes on, that's what needs to happen. Yeah, good suggestion. And actually, maybe we can appeal to the listeners there for their ideas on this. Uh, anybody out there who's got a good suggestion for how we might cover a cricket pitch, maybe you could tweet us. Uh, now, this podcast is now supported by the Cricketer magazine. The new issue is out today, uh, the county preview issue the, with the wall chart, of course, telling you exactly where each match is and where each county is playing throughout the summer. And on the Cricketer Twitter feed, at the Cricketer Mag, you could 
tweet us some ideas for what you think about the uh, way that we could cover grounds in future, way that we could handle these ridiculous rain interruptions. By the way, talking of uh, the new Cricketer magazine issue, uh, there's a piece in there, or several pieces in there, uh, about overseas players, because it's 50 years since overseas players were officially welcomed into English cricket, into county cricket. Before 1968, they were able to play, but they, they didn't have to serve a qualification period then, whereas after 68, they had to be officially announced as an overseas player, and you only had you were only allowed a certain number. And a very intrepid writer has actually done a calculation about who was the most successful overseas player in county cricket history, and interestingly, it's not... Vivian Richards or Wazi Makram or Imran Khan or uh, any of those you know established names from the 1970s that you'd associated with great performances and winning tournaments. Richard Hadley, of course, was a star for for Notts, the, the former New Zealander. But actually, the most successful overseas player in terms of winning titles for his county was John Shepherd of Kent and West Indies and, and Gloucestershire. And Gloucestershire, of course, you would have grown up probably watching him a, a little bit. Fantastic cricketer, very consistent, quite similar in in his way of bowling, I suppose, to somebody like Trent Bolt, actually. Not rapid, but just did enough with the ball. Lovely man, used to belt the cover off the ball when, when he came into bat at number eight as well. He's a very exciting batsman. But he featured in ten titles for Kent in the 1970s and 80s, so he's been crowned as the most successful overseas player of all time. Well, of course, he was playing in a very good Kent side. I'm surprised that it wasn't Mike Proctor. They actually named a county after him. He was so successful. They called him Proctorshire. When I was growing up watching cricket in, in Bristol in the 1970s, I mean, he was so important. And, of course, he was playing in a, an ordinary side, and he helped them win the Benson Hedges Cup in 1977 and the, and the Gillette Cup in 1973. We are really going back in time now but you know there have been some fantastic players in county cricket and as we look forward to the new season and of course we don't have that anymore in a way they've been drawn now those players in the modern era have been drawn to the IPL in a way the IPL is is, is sort of the, the, the way the county championship used to be. Well, that's right, yeah, with the, the star players that, 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 that featured in it. Yes, absolutely. In fact, my first game for Middlesex under-25s, uh, sort of first professional game, was against Sussex, and Sussex had Kepler Vessels, Imran Khan, and Javid Miandad playing, all trialling for that overseas slot for Sussex. So it was a star-studded game, and hopefully uh, in the future, in the 2020 new city tournament, which will be announced, the names of the team will be announced shortly, so we should attract some decent and overseas players into that as well. Anyway, um, just to say that this podcast is in association, as I say, with The Cricketer Magazine, and you can get your 20% off the subscription of The Cricketer Magazine if you go to this website link, thecricketer.com forward slash podcast, www.thecricketer.com forward slash podcast, and you can get 20% off subscriptions for The Cricketer Magazine. Now, Simon, what is going to happen tomorrow? Well, the forecast for Auckland, I'm afraid, is not that much better than it was for today. And I, I think it might even be worse. That plays into England's hands, of course, because the more time that's taken out of the game, the more chance they've got of saving it. Having said that, 
the forecast towards the end of the game is not too bad at all. And New Zealand, you know, potentially, are already in a winning position. Even if we had one day left in this match, they could still win the game because they're 171 runs ahead, okay, on, the, on a final day, say, if they, they might want to come out for three quarters an hour and smash it around and get a lead of 230 and then try and bowl England out in 85, 90 overs, of course, because there'll be an extra half an hour added on to each day's play from now on. So they've still got a big winning chance. They did so much damage on that first day that they've got an excellent chance of, of winning the game. England will be under pressure in the third innings of the match whenever we get back on, whenever there's you know, enough play for England to bat again, but I think not much play today. But New Zealand just inching forward. Jimmy Anderson got Kane Williamson out with a, a decent ball. But when you are bowled out for 58, the opposition has so much time left to force home a victory. And even with bad weather around for tomorrow as well, then you know, England clearly are going to be under pressure to save this match. Well, it's a gloomy prospect for England. One note of uh, positive optimism and success is that uh, the news that England's women beat Australia and uh, defeated them by eight wickets in a T20 match in India. So at least some um, good work by the England women to offset the terrible batting by England in the first innings of this test match in New Zealand. We'll be back tomorrow to look back at the third day's play and hope for some good news and hope for some play as well. Meantime, thanks for listening. And don't forget, by the way, that address for your subscriptions for The Cricketer, thecricketer.com forward slash podcast. Podcast Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.